for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me, let me just read that one more time. If you have a King James, it would sound something like, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, for to us who are sanctified, it's this foolish preaching of the cross that is the very power of God. You may have your seats. I'll, I'll be lying if I, if I didn't acknowledge the fact that today, like so many other days like it, could present a challenge for a number of individuals. All of us have been born to mothers. Yet not all of us would have shared equally good experiences. Many of us would have had or are blessed to have birthed children. Yet at the same time, not many have been blessed though married and not for lack of trying have been equally blessed to do the same. Many of us, for those who are here and for those who are online, as we think about what this day represents, would have had the opportunity and the privilege to make a phone call or to walk down the, the halls of a home and to wish that very special lady in your and my life happy Mother's Day. Yet in the same breath and at the same time, there are a number of individuals that are here and online that have to think of their mothers in the annals of their minds and recall times past or what could have been. So it would be almost foolish of me and remiss of me not to recognize that though today is such a wonderful day for many, it, it could be very much a gloomy day for some. And I just want to say to those that are in our midst that days like today represents a time of pain and agony and hurt. I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to know that we are here. I want you to know that we acknowledge said pain and for many of us we are able to identify and attest to some of that hurt and some of that grief and while many of us may not necessarily understand everything about how you feel or what you've been through, I could, I could say with some level of confidence all of us have recognized grief and pain at some particular point in our lives. And so I just want to take the opportunity to just acknowledge that and 
in so acknowledging that I, I was mindful of some of this pain and some of this hurt even as I was preparing to share a word on today and so I'm hoping that the message today of course can be taken in stride in terms of today as we celebrate mothers and as we we think about the value of mothers but I, I, I really hope that this could be a blessing to all for those who are hurting I hope that this message could be a great source of encouragement and upliftment to you and every single person that's here and in and under the sound of my voice. So just one more time, Paul would say as he makes his way into 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 18, for the message of the cross, though it might be foolishness to those who are perishing, to us, however, who are in the process to to us, however, who have been touched by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. To us, however, who have been saved. It's this cross and the preaching thereof that is the power of Almighty God. In other words, in times of our distress and in times of our pain, in times of our weakness and in times of our indifferences, it's the gospel and the preaching of the cross that's that affords us the opportunity and the strength, the, the motivation to, to keep pressing onward and keep moving forward. So let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart sink into despair. Let not yourself and your soul be overtaken in the grief and in the moment and in the pain for we have something to rejoice about and we have something to praise almighty God for. As we think about the message of this morning, I just want to encourage us along the lines of if we are led to the cross. As, as Paul is getting ready to exhort and to encourage these brethren at Corinth, I, I need for us to see some things really quickly as I, I try to navigate my wave in a very timely manner to the end of, of this message. I, I want us to keep in mind that Paul is, is writing to a church that in so many ways are destitute and, and dying because it's not that they didn't have access to the Holy Spirit. This was a church, as you continue to read uh, this epistle that Paul would write, it was a church that was filled with the ability to perform miracles. This was a church that was touched by the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit. The only way at this particular point in time that you could have been touched by the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit was if you were touched by Christ and God himself. And so this was a church that, that had experienced the goodness of Christ. This was a church and a people that had come face to face with the reality that they were sinners. And the only way that they could have a relationship with Christ, a relationship with God, was to become baptized, go into the watery grave of, of baptism, having believed that Jesus Christ lived, having believed that Jesus Christ died, having believed that he not only died, but that he rose a third, on the third day, having believed that he ascended into the heavens and he, that he would return again, having believed the gospel, they accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and they all engage as they go down into the watery grave of baptism. So Paul is writing to 
to a family. Paul is writing to men and women of God. Paul is writing to his spiritual siblings, but there is a problem in this congregation. Not just one, there, there are many problems, but if we were to take all of the problems and boil it down to one thing, we would recognize that they were still living very carnally. So all of the issues and, and all of the problems that, just, that this church would have, uh, they, they, they had division among them. Paul would say, some of you say that I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided, he would conclude? There would be a, a situation where one man would, would have relations with, 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 with his, his father's wife. And they are all acting as if, listen, it's, it's okay and nobody is saying anything. If, if, if that wasn't bad enough, they, they didn't know how to, to deal with each other as far as relationship and marriage was concerned. So Paul had to address some of their concerns about marriage. If that wasn't enough, they were abusing the use of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous works thereof. So Paul had to address even that, the, how they go about conducting themselves. If, if that wasn't enough, when it, when it came time for them to partake of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, they didn't even understand and appreciate those symbols. And so be, it became a, a feast and a, and, a, and a means by which they got drunk. If that wasn't good enough, and at a time when they, they were supposed to be spiritually mature, they were still as infants and as babes, not being able to handle the, the more serious and weightier things of the teachings, of the theology, of, of the gospel, and, and Paul still had to address them as if they were new converts. For all the issues that this church would have, I, I need for us to understand that at the root and at the heart of it, is the fact that they had yet to submit themselves wholeheartedly to the work of the Holy Spirit. Can I say something right there before I even get into my message? I, I want us to appreciate it doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter where, what the deficiency is. It could all be traced back to the question, have you and I, has, has this individual truly submitted themselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Lying, cheating, and uh, killing, murders, you name it, it all boils down to have you really submitted to the transformative power of the gospel? Have you really submitted to the transformative power of the Holy Spirit? So watch me on this as Paul gets ready to address the brethren here at Corinth. He knows and he's aware, he's familiar with the fact that there is a lot of issues that this church has. But before I could address the issues, I need to set the proper foundation. In other words, before I could start talking about these individual aspects and these individual problems, I want to set a proper foundation so that we could all work from. Have you ever had a dispute? Anybody here has ever had a dispute and you've had to sometimes have a mediator comes in and so, so oftentimes when you have a dispute or an argument or a quarrel, what happens is you have one person on this side that believes they are right and they very well might be and then you have a next person on this side that believes they, they are right and they very well might be and nobody is willing to relinquish and so until you say that you are wrong and until I say that, uh, until the next person acknowledges that they were wrong they, they can't meet in the middle 
And so sometimes when you have a mediator, the mediator has to now come and say, listen, I, I hear what you are saying. I hear what you are saying. We won't go forward until we set some parameters that we could all agree on and with. Do you agree to this, 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 and that? And once you have set the parameters, you have something to work from. You have a base to work from. So before Paul could begin to address the several issues that these brethren had, he had to set a base on which they would work and operate from. And so the base that Paul sets for these brethren before he begins to write and to address these several issues is he wants them to understand the thing on which they stand. I know as we think about church life, I know as we think about Christianity, there are just so many things that, that separate us and divide us. Yes, I know when we think about worship, there are some people that hold on to, 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 to a cappella worship and some people that hold on to instrumental worship. Yes, I know when we think about family life and daily living, there are some who believe that you could put alcohol to your mouth and then there are those who believe that if you only put a sip of alcohol to your mouth, you're going to a devil's hell. Yes, I know when it comes to worship again, we believe that a man should be the only person and only person to have that voice ringing out. And if you were to mic up some individuals, if you were to have more than one person on the stage, that's going to create an issue. Yes, I know in Christianity we have some individuals who believe that baptism is absolutely essential for your soul salvation. And some believe that all you have to say is a sinner's prayer. Yes, I know. I know all of these things. And I'm saying in as much as I know that these are issues that separate and divide us even in Christianity if there is a base we could work from. It might give us hope to, to, to bridge those divides. I guarantee you, church, if, if we start talking, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God? Every single man, woman, and child who claims to be a believer in Christ and a Christian would say, yes, I believe. That's a good place to start. I, I guarantee you, if you say to individuals, do you believe that the word of God is there to, 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 to instruct us in living and, and to help us understand what we need to do, not only to be saved, but what we need to do to stick within the workings and the functions and, and the living of Christianity. Every single person who is worth their weight in salt and gold would say, and they would conclude, yes, we believe that the Holy Writ is valuable to my life and my daily living. I'm just trying to help us to recognize that in as much as there are a number of things that might divide us, even right here in Antioch, there are issues and there are things that may create barriers and, and want to try to create distances. But if we have one thing that we could work from is the fact that the gospel does save. So before Paul begins to address the issues, he sets the parameters that it's through the preaching of the cross that we encounter and we engage with the power of Almighty God. Let me say this before I give you these three quick points. Paul is not, Paul is not pointing. There were different ways in which the cross was built. Crosses were built. Sometimes you had the one column pillar. And so some individuals would have their feet nailed and 
their hands nailed and they would look something like this. Sometimes it would be like a T, the traditional way that we view the cross, where an individual again is nailed this way and their hands are outstretched this way. There, there were some crosses that were done like X's and so you would, literally, you would literally look like this way. There were differences in the way that, that different individuals, even the Romans, would have used different types of crosses. Paul is not pointing to the thing that Jesus was nailed on in as much as he is pointing to the person who was nailed on the thing. So to have a cross on your neck, as I have one tattooed on my back, it's not in the thing that saves. The power is not in the thing that the person was nailed on. The power is in the Christ who was nailed on the thing. <laughs> so when Paul says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, he's, he's not saying for us to preach the thing. <laughs> he is saying for us to preach the one. A lot of people been crucified and and even on the day that Jesus was crucified, he was crucified with two thieves. One on the left and one on the right. So it's, it's not the thing. It's the person. It's what the person did. It's what the person represents. It's not the cross necessarily. It's the Christ. So when he says for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, he is pointing to the Christ, he is pointing to the sacrifice, he is pointing to the person, and he is not pointing to the thing. The reason why I want to bring that up is because sometimes even as you think about the attribute of prayer, I want us to understand something about prayer. Prayer works, but it's not the prayer that works. It's the person to whom the prayer is being offered that works. So the Romans, as Paul is writing to the brethren at Rome, they may have had the misconception that if I word my prayer a specific way, then I'm, that's going to force God to answer me. And sometimes he says, listen, even when you pray, you don't even know what you're praying for. So that's why the Holy Spirit is there, because sometimes in our weakness, when we don't know what to pray for or how to pray, he says the Holy Spirit, notice the words, he says the Holy Spirit goes on your behalf to God, not with audible words, but he says with groanings that can't be uttered. In other words, he wants them to understand that, yes, there are times as you mature and as you grow, you might want to word your prayer a particular way, but hear me and hear me well. He's trying to help them to recognize it's not really the prayer. I know James says the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. It's not the man, it's not the prayer, but it's the person to whom the prayer is being offered. So Paul is saying it's not 
the wood that brings salvation, but it's the one who created the trees to begin with. Do you not recognize that the Christ that's on the cross was the creator that created the tree from which these Romans got the cross to begin with? So he says it's not the, the cross, it's not the prayer, but you need to understand where the power is truly coming from. So as we look at this text, I want us to, ask, to see some things really quickly as we attempt to look at the cross in a, in a very quick way. I want us to see there are three things as I think about when we look at the cross, what do we see? Number one, I want us to see that as we look at the cross, the cross teaches us compassion. In the book of Luke chapter number 10, I'm just going to allude to this really quickly. In the book of Luke chapter number 10, Jesus encounters a, a, a lawyer, and the lawyer comes to him with a question. You know this all too well. The lawyer comes to him with a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he tells the lawyer, you know the law. You know what the law says. Uh, have you not read, have you not heard that uh, the law has stated, love the Lord I God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind? And the second command is, 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 is like, no, the first, love thy neighbor as yourself. Okay, great. But because he had an issue with the fact of not necessarily loving God, but loving his neighbor, the scripture would say, Luke would conclude that, that, that he trying to justify himself would therefore ask the question, then who is my neighbor? Church, let me, let, let me be a little bit real here. Loving God, though hard at times, is much easier for me to love God than it is for me to learn to love the person who scripture defines as my neighbor. Because when I have to love God, it's me in isolation, it's me and my God. And even though it's hard sometimes to love God the way that God wants me to love him wholeheartedly, it's easier for me to accept when I hear, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But it's the second part, love thy neighbor as thyself, that would trip us up every single time. And Jesus would conclude as he gives this parable of a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. Jesus would conclude that, that here comes a Levite, he sees him and passes him. Here comes a priest who sees him and passes him. But then he issues the reality of a Samaritan. And the Samaritan, if you look down at Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 30, the scripture says that the Samaritan, when he saw the man, was moved with compassion. Jesus is talking about love. But in lieu of talking about love, he showcases the necessity of having compassion. Don't get it mixed. Because though love and compassion share similar traits and attributes. Love and compassion is not the same thing. Love, as Jesus is trying to showcase here, uh, at, at, at least this agape type love, it's, it's a love that's unconditional. It's, it's a love that, that, that loves without restriction. It's a love that gives its all. Compassion, however, is the thing internally that drives us to showcase our love externally. So, 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 he wants them to understand, you all claim to love. But in order for you to claim to love, it's not just something that is felt on the inside, 
It's something that manifests itself on the outside. And so the thing that allows the love that is manifest on the outside to be seen, he says, internally is the attribute of compassion. Compassion is not pity. Compassion is not, oh, I feel so sorry, and so in this moment I move. Compassion is a movement and a compelling to not just see your situation become better, but a movement and a compelling for me to advance your situation. So when Jesus is on the cross, Jesus would say to them as he is speaking, to, for example, to Nicodemus in the book of John, chapter 3 and verse number 16, for God so loved, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so God is a loving God. He loves us. He loves the world. But let me show you God's compassion. Let me show you God's love in action. When you look at Christ on the cross, that's God showcasing his compassion. Can I speak to some of the wives in the house? Wives? Wives? Do, 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 you, do you have husbands that, that love you? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get one up on them. Husbands. Do you have wives that claim to love you? Yes. All right. <laughs> Ladies, learn, learn, learn. But here's my point. It's one thing... To say you love. Ladies, tell me me if I'm wrong. It's one thing for the husband to say that he loves. But it's the manifestation of that love that reassures you that when he says, I love you, though sometimes it comes once a week. Let Let me do go into that. It's what he does when he isn't speaking, that assures you as a wife, as a spouse, that when he said to you he loved you, he really meant it. So when God says, I love you, the cross says, this is me showing you, not just in word, but in deed. I'm willing to sacrifice my only son. That's compassion. I'm willing to go all the way. That's compassion. I'm willing to give the best that heaven had to offer. That is compassion. So when I look at the cross, the cross teaches me, Liza, that I need to learn a little bit more about compassion. Compassion is this inner thing that compels me to move into a state of action. Secondly, not only does the the cross teach us to have compassion for others, but but number two, the cross teaches us what forgiveness is and looks like. It's easy to forgive those who have come back. And I say it's easy. It's easier to forgive those who have come back and shared, I'm sorry. And we're living in a time now where people try to to say to you and me, even as Christians, that, you know what, until a person really comes and apologizes, you know, like, you, 
you shouldn't have to forgive them. Like you, you should reserve the right to withhold your forgiveness until a person really recognizes the wrong that they have done. Like you, you, you need to reserve your forgiveness because if you were to just give forgiveness all willy-nilly, then at what profit is it? But I, know, I want us to notice that in Luke chapter number, uh, chapter number 23, Jesus, when he utters the words, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They have beaten him. They have mocked him. They have ridiculed him. They even went so far to say, no, 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 we, we don't want you to let him go, Pilate. Pilate tried on two occasions to release the man. Pilate said, I have examined him and I see no fault. I see no wrong in him. Pilate understood that the person, the average person that, that was placed on the cross was an individual who oftentimes were deemed rebellious. It was the leaders of certain rebellion. And so this high treason or this high crime, and so the cross was usually reserved as a, a means to deter would-be rebellions and, and rebellious leaders from coming up and popping up in society. The cross was not meant for the thief at the side of the street. The cross was not readily used to, 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 to kill a liar. The cross was used as a strong deterrent to make a statement of authority. Who had the strength? And so whenever you had these uprising and these rebellious leaders, usually the cross or the crucifixion was reserved for these type of men. Serious criminals. So I want us to appreciate that when Jesus is offered crucifixion, when they cry out, crucify him, crucify him, they are saying to the, to the Romans, this man is a troublemaker. This man is a rebellion leader. This man is, 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 is going to cause problems for you, the, the, ruling, the ruling party at the time. He, yes, he's problems for us, the scribes and the Pharisees, but... But this man is worthy of the cross. Little did they know what they were saying when they said this man was worthy of the cross. He didn't deserve it. But he was the only one capable of hanging there. And his blood was the only thing capable of forgiving you and me and all of mankind of our several sins. So though he didn't deserve it. I, I love the book of Revelation for this. The only lamb that was worthy to be slain for the sins of all mankind was the very son of God himself. So when I look at the cross, I, I not only see compassion, but when I look at the cross, I see a true picture of forgiveness. Don't... Don't wait until somebody has died and moved on to struggle with learning to forgive. Let me share this really quick with you before I move on to my third point. I, I, I didn't have the, the best relationship with, with my dad. And to be quite honest with you, my, my voice is almost gone, so my sermon is nearly done. 
So to be quite honest with you, I, I didn't even have the best relationship with my mom, Stephen. At the tender age of seven or eight, my, my mom came to the US and I could tell you my siblings, my sisters, particularly my younger sister, she struggled with that. And so for a number of years, I don't know if she still harbors some of this. I, I know she views our services from time to time, so she might, she might listen to this, I don't know, but for a number of years, she struggled with blaming my mom with abandonment. And I too, I, I, would have, I would have loved to have grown up every single week, to have my mom to be there for all of my achievements growing up as a young person, as a young man. I certainly would have loved to have had a, a, a relationship with my father the way I had a relationship with my grandfather. I would have loved that, but that wasn't in the cards for me. I didn't quite bring myself to forgiving my father when he was alive. And I had to struggle, struggle through working, working out those emotions and feelings. Even as a young man, even today, I, I'm still struggling because I believe I've, I've forgiven him, but now I, I won't have the opportunity to, to tell him and, and to have that conversation. So in my heart of hearts, I believe that I have forgiven my father for some of the nonsense that he did in his life that affected me and my family growing up. Part of the reason why my mom had to come to the U.S. is, is because she was running for her life. She was living with a man who was, was abusive. For years I struggled with this, with this, with this memory, with this with this dream where I, I always, the dream was always the same and I could never understand it because I dreamt the same thing over and over and over for years as a young person. And I, and I would enter into this room, I would come through the door and there was an exit door on, on the right and the bed was on this side and my mother is sitting at the edge of the bed and as I make my way around the edge of the bed, I look at her, her head is bowed and I say, Ma. It's one of the few times I could recall ever addressing my mother as my, I call my mother by her first name, Aileen. But make no mistake, I, I respect her wholeheartedly. But as I walk around, that's one of the few times I, I, I could recall ever referring to my mother outside of the designation of her name, Aileen. I called her Ma. In the dream, I called her Ma. And as she turns around, her face is black and blue and her eyes are swollen this side of her face is swollen not knowing that her jaw was dislocated not knowing that she was just beaten and i i i i recall that dream for years until i was about 19 years of age and i told her listen i've had this dream for a number of years now i don't know what it means but i, I just wanted to share this with you and she said what you could remember that you couldn't be more than three and a half, four years, four years old. I'm just trying to help us to understand that sometimes there are, there are people in our lives that we struggle to come to terms with. But if we have to be individuals who are not just led to the cross, but led by the cross, we, we have to learn the attribute of forgiveness. Some of us, the reason why it is we don't have relationships with our parents is 
because they haven't been around. And we know all the terminologies that the world associates with fathers who leave, deadbeat dads. I, I don't want to... I don't want to do that this morning. But people leave for all different sorts of reasons, and while we might have some sort of justification to hold them, metaphorically speaking, at their throat for not being there, I want to encourage those who are here in this room and under the sound of my voice, if you are struggling and you have struggled with any sort of anger, hate, malice, you name it, I want to encourage you to learn from Jesus and learn from the cross that we need, we need to be people who exemplify forgiveness. Amen. Finally, as I close, not only does the cross teach us compassion, not only does the cross teach us forgiveness, but as we look at the cross, Jesus once again utters the words according to the book of John chapter 19. Reading from verse 28 through 30, Jesus looks and he, he recognized that he accomplished the will of the Father. He hasn't necessarily taken his last breath yet, but he realized he has gotten to the point that he truly came into this world to accomplish. His nail, the nails are in his hand, the nails are in his feet. Blood, sweat, and tears is streaming out from this man from every, every part of his body. Sweat and blood have already been accustomed flowing together in the life of Jesus. For prior to him even going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he was so burdened with what was about to take place that he, he sweat drops of blood. And while he was emotionally and mentally and physically burdened with what was about to take place, he prayed to the Father. He said, God, if it be possible. In other words, Father, if there was... If there... If there was another way, God, for us to save these people, let, tell, tell me right now and I'll do it. I need for us to understand that this is not just a means of Jesus showcasing his humanity and that he was so weak he was afraid to go to the cross. He is saying, God, I want to fulfill your will so much that if there is another way to do it, just tell me now and I'll do it. Nevertheless, if your will for me is that I go to this cross and I'm crucified for people that would hate on me just so that you could offer life and, and offer life more abundantly, I will willfully do it. Amen. So on the cross, he's nailed. And as he is nailed, he utters the words according to the book of John, having been up there and recognizing that he is not going to come down. He says, it is finished. Amen. Church, I don't know about you, but sometimes life gets hard. And you and I have the crosses that God has placed us on. 
This represents the fulfillment of God's will in our life. God says, I need for you to accomplish the task and stay faithful to it. Because in staying faithful to it, you're going to stay faithful to me. The reason why you, you stay faithful to your spouse, even though you had the right to tell them get out, is because God said, if, if you are faithful to it, it means that you are being faithful to me. I'm not saying stay in an abusive relationship. Hear me and hear me well. But if there's opportunity for forgiveness to take place, then please allow forgiveness to take place. If there's an opportunity for you to connect with your loved ones or connect with your enemies, and, and God is saying, listen, don't run from that. I, I want you to stay faithful to relationship and stay faithful to the mission because if you stay faithful to the mission, church, it means that you're staying faithful to me. So when we look at the cross, I'm done. I want us to see that the cross teaches us compassion. When we look at the cross, I'm finished. Let's all stand. I want us to see that the cross teaches us to forgive. But when we look at the cross, number three, I want us to see that the cross teaches us what it means to fulfill God's will. Let's sing our song of invitation.